Are you starting to learn about inner work and shadow work, but you're struggling to translate the theory into practice and understand how to relate it to yourself? Do you look back at your childhood and wonder what caused you to suppress or disconnect from those genuine parts of yourself that just felt right? Well, if any of that resonates, then this episode is for you. This is the first episode of a two-part series with Rose Therapist, Women's Circle Facilitator and founder of the Chrysalis Collective. She is both incredibly passionate about learning, yet the first to admit that she doesn't have all the answers. Her honesty, knowledge and relatability blend effortlessly in this episode as we clarify the foundations of shadow work and explain why most of us lose touch with our raw, authentic self at such a young age. Let's dive into these invaluable lessons that we were never taught at school. Welcome to Authentic Self, your companion on the path of self-exploration and expression. If you're tired of wearing masks that hide the real you and leave you feeling disconnected and unfulfilled, then you're in the right place. In each episode, our guests will share their stories, insights and practices, providing you with the inspiration and skills needed to break free and tap into the radiant authenticity that lies within you. with your core values um can you list I think you've got four and then add in one red herring it's somewhere in there and then we'll come back to it at the end see if people can figure out which was the red herring wisdom heart positivity exploration and wisdom you said wisdom first. <laughs> <laughs> instead of the I second say? wisdom it's true truth <laughs> Okay. The truth is, I can't remember my core values. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Right. Can you talk me through what your sort of childhood was like, how it was perceived by others, and how you personally kind of experienced it as a whole? I know that's a massive question. That's a question, massive question. <laughs> but just a summary. Yeah, so I guess from the outside, um, it would look like I had a really great childhood, which I did, but I think everyone has things in their childhood that maybe trauma is a strong word but things that separate you from who you truly are or mean that you can't be yourself or be authentic like how would people describe you as a child I mean as a child I was very much always wanted to do things right always wanted to people please always wanted never got into any trouble at school um always got my head down and worked and I think it made me a really stressed child because I was I guess aware early on of how fitting into these molds the things that that can give back to you and I think I really went seeking for that um what so which mold did you fit in yourself into and what were you seeking through that? I guess excellence is like the mould that I've always tried to fit into. Always wanted to kind of master everything, to be the top of everything. Um, and it there wasn't any kind of stone left unturned. Like there wasn't any area where I'd almost 
pull back like it was just a hundred percent into everything which you can imagine <laughs> doesn't really turn out very well in the end but um it's a very exhausting pursuit and why did you pursue that um excellence yeah I guess it's whatever I was receiving back at the time so whether that be feeling um like the love from someone else or feeling seen or feeling heard in spaces maybe I wasn't heard um really gave me an opportunity to do that how did say 14 year old Rose feel given that she was so stretched in every direction pretty yeah. much was aiming for perfection which we know is unachievable <laughs> um what? don't tell me that now <laughs> um what was it like to be you at that kind of age yeah and I think at the time I guess I didn't realize how tiring a pursuit that is um trying to be perfect or trying to be excellent and yeah exhausting is the word but it, it was really difficult as well because I always wanted to achieve but I never wanted to be seen and I think that's a really hard thing to do as well. I always wanted to fly under the radar because it, it's almost like with a lot of these things, you will draw negative attention to yourself by achieving or like stepping into a particular place. And it wasn't all in the pursuit of, um, I guess, recognition. There was things that I was genuinely so passionate about. And I think it took me a long time to distinguish the things that I was genuinely passionate about and the things that would just exhaust me so much that they'd run me into the ground. So I've always been super, super creative. Um, and I I don't know if you've ever heard of like flow state. So people describe yeah. when you do particular activities or particular things, you get in that state and time just passes and you don't realise that time is passing. And... I think it's important to realise you can be good at things, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're in that state. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time you can be considered, if we're taking it on a judgment level, by other people to be not so good at something, but that might be where you really enter that flow state. But just because it's judged by someone else not to be good or the best, like it doesn't mean that that's not your authentic space. Yeah, it's nice to like build a picture of who you were and what yeah. really drove you at that time and then sort of compare it to where you're at now yeah when did it start to change when did you start to realize that <coughs> that way of living and focusing on those aspects of life mm. wasn't right for you I probably knew from quite a young age because I would sit in like an exam or a test and even like a spelling test in school and I would be so consumed by the weight of getting all the answers right I think I just got to the point where I couldn't physically take that pressure anymore like I remember sitting in university and I sit in my exams to the point where I'd be so dysregulated from like a nervous system perspective that I couldn't even like feel my pen in my hand you look around the room and you think this isn't this isn't happening to anyone else like something's gone wrong somewhere and I'm not really sure what that is or like what to do about it but yeah it's something not right and when I was in university um I got to a point then when I started having panic attacks and when you become so dysregulated or overwhelmed or I guess full of emotion it's that kind of tipping over the edge and it, it all comes out in a way that obviously isn't very desirable <laughs> so you started having the panic attack 
I did. Were you having these panic attacks, but still being able to kind of function and carry on? Yeah, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> My life turned upside down completely. Um, yeah, I started having panic attacks and I remember the first panic attack I had and I called my mum and I was like, something's like horribly wrong and I don't know what it is. I don't know what's going on. And I had to, I didn't even have a word to describe this thing at the time, which sometimes you look back and you think, oh, maybe it'd be better if we didn't have all these words to describe things because we use such harsh labels and everything. But yeah, I remember calling my mum and I was like, something's happening and I don't know what's happening. And um, I was kind of describing to her how I felt. And she said, I think, I think you're having a panic attack. And I was like, what? And I think, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, this wasn't that long ago. It was quite a few years ago, but I didn't really hear that anywhere. So I didn't really know what that meant or what that was. All I know is something felt very wrong and I didn't know what to do about it. Um, and then I kind of developed this fear of having the panic attacks again. And um, I went on a holiday and all leading up to the holiday, I was terrified that I was going to have a panic attack on the plane. Got onto the plane and travelling there. And I didn't feel great, but it it was okay. Got there and I think I just became so aware of like how I was feeling and that I didn't know what to do and so far away from home. And then I got so worked up and on the, on the plane journey on the way back, I had a panic attack and everyone on the plane I mean this might just be my kind of perception of it now but people you know kind of like lifting up out of their seats to like look at oh, what's this what's going on with this girl at the front of the plane and it's crazy because I'm not scared of flying I've never been scared of flying when I go into an airport I, still, I get like a really nice buzzy feeling but just that in that moment like I was so so overwhelmed by everything and I think it was just that immense pressure of that suffering and everyone being a spectator to it and it felt really really uncomfortable and even now I look back and I think that's a really not a nice situation to be in I think hopefully if that happened to someone now the situation would be a little bit different and people wouldn't be staring and pointing and someone might actually have a better idea well I know if I was on a plane with someone now I'd have a better idea of how to help that person it all kind of spiraled from there and then um got home and I couldn't even walk to the shop like I and there was days where I'd be worried about how I was going to feed myself because I couldn't get from my front door to the shop which was like meters away had two jobs had to quit both of the jobs and I was in university which you can understand why I was probably overwhelmed <laughs> I couldn't get to my lectures so I had to drop out of university and I, yeah I just had no idea what was happening to me and I just had to start a bit of a pursuit of what was what was going on where did you start Oh gosh, where didn't I start? I think I've seen every type of therapist under the sun, I have to admit. I'm not saying that certain therapies don't work, but I really struggled to find something that resonated exactly with what I was going through. And I'm a very instinctual person. So I just found myself running into situations all the time with people who maybe claim to have all the answers and you'd almost hit a point and there was nothing more. But in my heart, I knew there was more. And it's really hard when you sometimes you think if I could just accept this on this on the surface, that would be amazing. But in my heart, and I know there's that's not either not it or as in like this isn't the thing or that's not it as in there's more. And that must be so difficult because when you go to someone else for help, 
mm-hmm. and they're the professional and you're yeah. the one seeking their support and guidance yeah, yeah, yeah. to feel like they don't have the answers that you need yeah and that they're not able to go kind of deep enough far enough mm. must just add to this whole sense of being in a way kind of like lost and not knowing what's going on like you've said yourself to start with you didn't have a name for it and then you did have a name for it but you didn't understand why it was happening mm-hmm. and then you're seeking to understand what was going on with yourself and then other people can't even help explain. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I mean, it sounds like you went to quite a few therapists, but I mean, that in itself is a feat because when you're in that place, mm-hmm. you know, trying one therapist requires a lot of courage. Yeah. And then for that to fail mm-hmm. for, for you, not it, like we said, it, it might not for everyone, but to, to have that bad experience and then to be willing to go and give it another go. Yeah. And each time you're starting with a new therapist, you have to start all from the from the beginning. Yeah. Like, I'm, I, I just imagine that was a, an extremely difficult place to be in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've imagined it exactly how it is. And I couldn't help this feeling in my heart that I didn't come onto the planet like this. So I think something's going on I guess it almost goes to like a spiritual level and I'd sit in front of these people and I'd be like something's going on and I think you don't know about it either and I know I don't know about it I would never say that to anyone and and you know I still could be wrong now um I mean I know a lot more than I did so I can confirm there was more than a lot of the things I was met with um but it it causes a tremendous amount of suffering and one thing now I've learned to commend myself for things is I'll always commend myself for how resilient I am because I've picked myself up so many times that I can't even comprehend and as well it's amazing that you even having gone through so many years of not listening to what was right for you and just Mm. pursuing this excellence regardless yeah that when you reached that place where you were seeing the therapist yeah that you that inner voice that inner knowing was still loud enough for you to hear it yeah I'm very lucky to then to then know yeah that this path that you were on in that moment wasn't right for you and that you needed to try a different one and I think this is part of what maybe I deem to be my authenticity now is that I don't know if stubbornness is the right word but that resilience that seeking of the truth and I just can't let that go and um, I know when I was a child, I was absolutely the same. And then I wasn't the same. So now that you are a few years down the line, <laughs> yeah. what filled up that pot so that it was yeah. so full and it was overflowing? Yeah. Um, like I say, I think anyone who seeks out these personas, and now personas just where you step out of your authenticity doing something that isn't right or isn't right by you, there's such a spectrum of what people call disorders and things now that, come from these personas that people create in order to escape or escape something or to seek out something and usually if they're seeking something they're seeking to escape whatever the feeling was that's undesirable they're all very simple things they're very basic things and very basic things that are so often overlooked because we really over 
complicate things. So being seen, being heard, feeling that love, feeling unconditional love, feeling like you're enough. I struggle to believe there isn't a person on the planet operating to some small level, running behaviours that help them to seek these things if they've lost it somewhere or not had it. What you've just said sort of um, makes me think about ancestral healing. Yeah. When we just kind of zoomed out to the wider picture of the world, it kind of made me then think of the wider picture of the ancestral lines. Mm -hmm. Can you give a quick summary of how it's not only what you have experienced in your childhood, but it might also be related to what your family has experienced in their lifetime. We're very good at learning things. Um, But you can't learn something that you've never been taught. And I had a conversation with someone not too long ago and they said to me, um, I think we were talking about self-love or self-care or I think it was actually about caring for, for something. And we were talking about how caring for something is usually a reflection of your ability to care for yourself. And that's not something I've ever been good at. And this person turned around and said to me, you're really good at the things that you've been taught, aren't you? <laughs> I said, yeah. And what I'm not good at are the things that I've never been taught how to do. But you can only teach something to the ability that you've been taught that thing. Or you can only give something to the ability that you've been given that thing. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you'll hear a lot of people saying, my parents did this to me or my parents did that to me. Well, it wasn't their fault. And I don't think anyone's to blame in any of these things. People can only give what they know how to give, what they've been taught how to give or what they've been modelled how to give. And if your parents weren't taught how to show unconditional love or to show a child that they've been seen or been heard because they didn't receive that when they were, chi- when they were a child, then they're not going to know how to do that. And chances are their parents had the same problem. There's obviously particular problems that you can trace back to certain points and there's particular problems that you can't because they might be really specific to your family line. So I always think an interesting one is with a lot of women's problems, you can usually trace those back to certain points. For example, with like women's oppression and witchcraft and things like that, you can see where a lot of these beliefs have evolved over time and how we kind of got to the point that we are today. And if you ever find yourself in... um, a bit of a blaming space. I truly believe that everyone is doing the best with all of the resources they have at any point. I don't think anyone's intention is to cause themselves suffering because it's just it's just so against what humans are like. So yeah, I went off on a bit of a tangent. What have you started to do over the last few years to start to heal those issues at yeah. the root? When I discovered the the subject of the subconscious, it really kind of pieced a lot of things together for me because I always felt really in conflict with myself on certain things and I never understood why. When you try and describe something to, say, a therapist, and they try and alter your thoughts, but I felt like my thoughts were already in a certain place and how I was feeling was in a completely different place. Mm-hmm. And when you've got a lot of therapies that focus on thinking and I'm not saying there isn't a connection between how you think and how you feel my problem was I was always feeling and then attaching the thought afterwards but how I was feeling wasn't 
sitting well with me and wasn't making me feel comfortable. Now, granted, once you start attaching the thought to it and all of the judgment onto it, you feel a lot worse. But I always recognised that the feeling was coming first. I learned a lot more about the subconscious and I was like, right, okay, whatever this is, is on a very subconscious level. Um, granted, there's a very conscious part that's operating in it and increasing that suffering, but there's something on a subconscious level that isn't isn't quite lining up here. I guess a lot of it would be called shadow work and there's different names for it. And how I describe shadow work is just the process of finding where your inner and outer worlds don't match up and going and seeking as to why or um, what you can do about it. And becoming aware of those aspects I think is the most important bit and <laughs> sometimes you've got to be very careful with that because that in itself can actually cause a, a lot of suffering. I think if you're going to do shadow work, you've got to be very serious about it. Or any kind of process of making the unconscious conscious. Because the problem is, once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. And once you've seen it, unless you make the changes, you'll start suffering. I'll just give an example. Let's say someone comes into my women's circle and um, they decide they want to connect more with their femininity and that kind of softer side to them. So they don't feel like they're really bringing that out. And in their life, they might be a single parent or they don't have that kind of masculine figure in their life. And they're struggling to attract someone like that into their life. They work a very corporate job. They're very high up, working with lots of men. It's very competitive, very stressful, very tight and rigid. So let's say this person comes to a women's circle really connect with this like feminine side of them that they had the intention to and it really opens up their awareness and they realize and they see oh my gosh I haven't been embracing this in my life she feels like a profound shift and it's like right okay this feels really I feel like I can really be myself in this space and be soft and be gentle and be open and it doesn't feel really structured and rigid <laughs> so then this person goes back into their everyday life and um they start going to work and they're like after going to that women's circle, this just doesn't really, really feel right to me. It feels too, like I feel really trapped and contained and like it's just making me feel uncomfortable. And they realise that when they're on their period, they maybe want to be more introspective and have that quiet time to themselves and really reflect. But they've got a job that doesn't allow them to do that. So now that isn't working for them either. So they start being angry and resentful and they're squashing all that down and maybe they're... Um, menstrual cycle gets worse um, they're looking for this partner in their life but they have this belief that they're too masculine and the job that they have isn't going to attract the kind of partner that they want they want this they want to step into that soft space and they're struggling to step into it because their job's like this so now it's projecting into all areas of the life all from just this one thing having that intention and going and seeking out whatever that thing was and the problem is if you then don't make the changes after that you end up feeling a lot lot worse because now you're aware of how your reality isn't right for you. Exactly. And it will just, it will seep into everything, but it's only good if you're ready to make the change. Granted, there might be some resistance there to making the change because no one likes being shoved up against fear. And that, that's kind of what the, the shadow work does is bringing those parts of ourselves that are repressed up and out. And I think it can bring about a lot of grief as well because you realise how many things you've lost or things you've like missed opportunities or times you haven't been able to step into who you truly are because you've been so tightly bound by these things that have 
been really uh, really depressed really suppressed in your subconscious so yeah proceed with caution <laughs> thanks <laughs> you don't have to go into it into much detail yeah and you, you can say no what is part of your shadow or what was part yeah. of your shadow if you're enjoying this episode or it's providing some value for you i invite you to rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening from your reviews will help us reach even more like-minded listeners and continue spreading the message of authenticity well, I definitely had a part of my shadow that was like my femininity was really deeply pushed down and lost. <laughs> um, it's so wild when I think about this now. And I still have a lot of male friends, but I always only had male friends for the longest time. And I'd be like, oh, I just don't get on with girls. Girls don't like me. Um, you know, they always pick problems with me. They hate me. Um, and... I I felt like I attracted people into my life on a romantic level that maybe weren't in that masculine space because I was already in it. So there wasn't space for anyone else to be in it. And, you know, I always wanted to be in charge. I wanted to determine how things went. Like I was always the strongest, the most independent, the everything else. Um, and then I would look at them and, and I'd be like, oh, I can't believe that this person isn't like being masculine and taking charge and it's like oh, well this doesn't work if I'm doing it as well how can you take charge when someone else has already done it 10 minutes ago yeah um so what does it look like then to to I think the commonly used word is integrate yeah but to make the feminine mm -hmm. a part of you without it becoming so strong and overwhelming that it then shifts you. I don't know if it's possible, but shifts you too far the opposite way. Is that possible? Yeah, or I don't know. It's a really interesting point. And the first thing that I did think then was, can you be too much of anything? Or is it always by someone else's standards? But we were just saying how you were too much of the masculine. Or was it that you were not too much of the masculine, but in the absence of the feminine, Yeah. that masculine had it wasn't balanced out no because for sure. something else was missing or it wasn't balanced out on a level that felt true to me okay if that makes sense um because I don't think anyone is like a certain amount masculine or feminine how did you start to discover what was authentic for you you have to be very truthful with yourself that's all that's all you have to do because you already know so what's stopping most people and, yeah. and from being truthful with themselves? Well, whatever it was that pushed that shadow aspect into the shadow in the first place. <laughs> does that make sense? It does, yeah. It's, it's like a catch-22. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that it's hard because some people resent people who they don't think are being authentic, but... You're only ever being inauthentic to protect yourself. That's my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, and so like I say, if, if someone's pushed an aspect down into that, that shadow or into that subconscious um, space, it's because they're scared of whatever the thing is that they thought was going to happen or perceived was going to happen. Obviously, this is why most of these kind of evolve in childhood because you have no gauge of things that will or won't happen to the degree that you do when you're an adult. To a child, it will be, what happens if no one hears me? I won't get my needs met. What happens if my needs aren't met? 
And also, as a child, we are much more reliant on other people. So we are reliant on adults and caregivers yeah. for to meet those needs. Yeah. So if a part of our behaviour is not... Desirable. Desirable <laughs> and is changing the behaviour of our caregiver... Yeah. Then we have no choice as a child but to modify our own behavior because you can't leave a relationship like that um, in the same way that you can as an adult and we're so adaptable as children that we will and we'll be the person to do it because we need that person to look after us yeah i don't know if you've ever heard that saying it's not very nice one but like childhood's a prison because you can't get out like if you're in a a household where someone's taking care of you like unless the social services come banging down the door you're like that's it this is where you are and it's really horrible to to say that and to perceive it like Mm. that but well you don't need to do that casting into the shadow as an adult because you can leave the situation but you can't do that as a child yeah I personally have never considered the fact that I was kind of trapped Mm-hmm. with it with my family as such. yeah 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 but that comes from a place of privilege where things never got to the point where I felt I really wanted to escape can we do a couple of like short answer questions yeah quick fire round quick fire round <laughs> um so number one what's something you wish you knew about yourself two years ago I know nothing not I know nothing but in the grand scheme of things there are to know and to know about myself, I know nothing, but if that's the whole point of being on this planet is to find that truthful, authentic version of yourself and that purpose and to live by it, then I've got a lot of living left to do, so rightly so that I don't know a lot. What's one social norm that you intentionally reject or don't follow? <laughs> I used to be such a big part of it, and I think that's kind of developed my my hatred towards it what's it grind culture (laughs) i hate it i hate it 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 just doesn't honor people at all um for me as a woman it doesn't honor how i um would like to live authentically i know there'll be some people who love grind culture what was the last intention you set the most recent one that you set um to speak my truth (laughs) i have a long way to go but yeah i it's it's happening, it's happening. <laughs> What's your favourite season and which part of the menstrual cycle does that um, <laughs> okay. correlate, correlate to? Yeah. And what's your then experience of that part of the menstrual cycle? Yeah. So sorry, that's probably not a quick fire question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Start with the season. Yeah. And then go from there. Um, Summer. Okay. Yeah. And which part of the menstrual cycle does that um, align with? I'm now doubting myself. <laughs> ovulation to um your luteal phase it's probably quite ironic that they do link up so well but it's obviously that part of your cycle where you have the most energy and you're really feeling yourself really easy to step into that sensual space and feel super feminine and it's actually funny because um before I really reconnected with that feminine side of me I wasn't ovulating properly or at all sometimes 